Furman this morning. It's good to have part of the Scotland Five back. For those of you who don't know who the Scotland Five are, uh, there was five of our congregation who were in Scotland on internships for the last six months, and we've been getting a lot of good uh, video reports from them. And so they have kind of coined themselves the phrase as the Scotland Five, all right? So uh, just to bring everybody up to date and up to speed on that, it's good to have you here. My name is Merle Shank, one of the pastors here at Newport Church, and it is good, man, to stand, uh, to stand together and worship the Lord as we did this morning. Um, let's pray as we get into the service here, this part of the service. Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your spirit here. God, I just come before you. I thank you for everything that you want to minister to our hearts today out of your word. We thank you that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. God, and we thank you that it provides a standard for our lives. And so, Lord, we ask that you would speak to us. We ask that you would minister to us. I pray for life to come, Lord, where there's been challenges and difficulties. Father, I thank you, Lord God, that your presence is here. And God, we thank you, Lord, for joy, even in the midst of struggle sometimes. God, we thank you for joy. We thank you for peace. We thank you for your righteousness that reigns in this place. And Jesus, we declare that you are the King of kings, and you are the Lord of lords, and this meeting belongs to you. God, your, your presence is here, and we worship you, and we adore you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. This morning, we're going to kick off our Purposed series for the month of August here. And so that's kind of the, the bedrock theme that we're going to be work, uh, walking through and working through over the next uh, several weeks together. And, you know, each one of us, God has purposed each one of us to live in his kingdom where he reigns as king. And our entire makeup was made to thrive in the glory-rich environment of his kingdom. That's who we are. You know, like, uh, who, who we are, how we were made, you and I were made to thrive. Tell your neighbor, say, thrive. Yeah. You and I were made to thrive in the glory-rich environment of his kingdom. Do you remember the tagline that was popular, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago? Uh, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Right, And uh, that was something that was made famous, it was made popular, it was kind of going around and really, you know, it was a call to morality, it was a call to like decency, like this thing that I'm about to do, would Jesus do that, (laughs) you know? And that's good, Uh, you know, those are some good things, but I think, you know, what happens in that sometimes is we can kind of be trapped in being led by assumptions rather than by relationship, because we can all assume Like, what would Jesus do? And we can assume some things out of his word. But, but, you know, when we're led by assumptions and when our faith is based upon assumptions, uh, we can wind up actually, you know, (laughs) how many of you know that God does not fit in our boxes? Yeah, God doesn't fit in our boxes. And we know that Jesus is good. We know that God is good. But remember uh, the, the pool of Bethesda in the Bible? where Jesus comes into the pool of Bethesda and there's tons of lame people, there's tons of blind, there's, there's tons of people who need healing and we have record that he heals one man. And he goes and, you know, I think, you know, today, like we would say, well, what would Jesus do if he was here? Well, he would go to like all the hospitals and just clear them all out. You know, that, that could be my assumption, you know, that man, Jesus would, would do that. But, but, you know, biblically we see that 
you know, there was different times, different times and different seasons where people assumed things about God that he wasn't actually doing. And so if we're not careful, sometimes our faith can be rooted in assumption rather than relationship. You know, there's a big difference I've learned in marriage. There's a big difference between what my wife will do and what I will assume that my wife will do. <laughs> Any husbands say amen. There you are, babe. <laughs> and there's, there's some big assumptions sometimes between what I do and what my wife will assume that I will do. And really, you know, how do you work that out? Well, you work it out in relationship. You work it out in dialogue and in communication. And that's the same way we work out our faith with God. We work it out in dialogue and communication and knowing his word and being in relationship with him. Amen? You know, I think about the time, and really, you know, Jesus, um, he kind of confronts this in, um, in Luke chapter 4, verses 25 to 28. There, Jesus, there's a, a lot of people saying a lot of good things about Jesus, and, and he stands up and he says, listen, but I tell you truly, many widows... There were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha and none of them were cleansed but only Naaman a Syrian. Wow. Only Naaman a Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. Wow. All of a sudden, you know, they're, they're, they're praising Jesus on one hand, and he stands up and he says this, and really what he's insinuating is that, listen, God's probably not going to do it the way you're thinking he's going to do it. That's the insinuation there. And are, the question that I pose to us today is, are we serving God for, for our assumptions of what he will do? Or are we serving him as king? Are we serving him as Lord of our lives? When Jesus comes and he breaks, he insinuates that, listen, the expectation of, of the synagogue leaders there, God's not going to do it always the way that you expect. And I know that that's been true of my life. How many of you have ever had to wrestle through some things where I thought God was going to do this, and he does it completely different. And sometimes, and, and a lot of times, he actually brings me to a better place than I was, than, than my plan would have brought me. Yeah? And there's things like that in our relationships with God, where we serve God as a good and righteous king, not necessarily as a good and righteous, better version of ourselves. The truth is that our best attempts, apart from God, often fail. We can have our best laid plans, and we assume that because those plans, we see them as the best thing for us, we can assume that God wants those plans for us. Yet how many of you know that life rarely goes as planned? It doesn't always go as planned, does it? In fact, rarely does it go as planned. Life almost never goes exactly as I have planned, and I bet that that's probably the same encounter that you guys have with life as well. 
You know, have you ever seen those visuals on social media where it's like, it says success, and it tries to define what success looks like, like starting at point A, and it's a straight line up to like point Z, and like that's our plan of success, right? That's what I thought success was going to look like. And then there's this squiggly line down on the bottom that says like, this is what success actually looks like, (laughs) right? And and I've seen it for life, you know, this is what I thought life was going to look like, and this is what life actually looks like, right? And God's ability to, to bring about his purposes in the midst of all the squiggle, in the midst of all the challenges in life is amazing. It's amazing. And so when we, when we come to God, you know, the Bible says that we must come to him knowing as, that he is our king. He is our father. And he's the one who reigns and who rules. God has a way of bringing things around in regards to his plan for our lives when we serve him. He has that uncanny ability to make all things work together for our good. Even the challenging things in life. And he does so in such a way that causes humility, it causes growth in us, and it causes our character to be fashioned. Have have any of you ever encountered that where your character was fashioned through trial? Your growth, your spiritual growth was fashioned through trial? And I know that's been true a lot of times in my life as well. We're just like, man, you know, I would not choose this way. I would not choose, you know, God, that, that life would look like this or the challenges would look like that or the circumstances that I'm in would look like that. But God, you are bigger than I am. You see a much broader picture than I could ever see. And so my role is to be walking in faithfulness with you because you're trustworthy and you're good. Romans 8 Verses 27 to 28, it says, Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. God, is, God has given each one of us a purpose in him to be, that you and I are called according to his will and according to his, uh, his view of our lives in his kingdom. It's his plans that bring us fulfillment in our lives. It's, 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 you know, there's been a lot of times, and I, I hear this verse in, in Luke chapter 19, verse 42. There's this time where Jesus is looking out over Jerusalem and he's weeping over Jerusalem. He's crying. And he, he makes this statement. And he says, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this day, your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. I see, you know, I've seen this a lot of times in my life where my assumptions, my, what my view is, doesn't always bring the fulfillment that I desire. My best attempts don't always bring the fulfillment that I desire. And I, you know, I I think that it's probably part of human nature that we do not always know the things that make for our peace. We don't always know the things that make for our peace. The truth is, as mankind, we don't know the things 
that bring us the fulfillment that we desire in our lives. There's been a lot of times where I had my way and God had his way, and God, how many of you know that God always gets his way? (laughs) All right. God had his way, and he wound up bringing me to a much better place than I could ever think or imagine. And so that doesn't mean that we don't make plans. It doesn't mean that we don't have desires, but we hold it in a loose tension before the Lord because he's the one who reigns as king. He's the one who reigns as our savior. And the key is to trust in his purpose and to trust his process. God is trustworthy. He can orchestrate things much better than I can, than you can. He can orchestrate things much better than we can understand. I don't know about you, but when I hear Romans 8.28, that tells me that if I'm going through a challenging time, if things aren't yet worked out for my good, it's not the end. It's not the end. So if you're going through a challenging time in life, I want to encourage you that just by virtue of it being difficult, know this, that it is not the end for you. It's not the end. You know, I think... um, as human beings, we have this infatuation with the end of things, right? I remember in Bible college, I did a thesis on how every generation believes that they're the last. <laughs> every generation believes that they're the last generation before Jesus returns. And listen, we are to live our lives in readiness for his return. Don't get me wrong, all right? But if you look back, you know, 88 reasons why Jesus is going to come back in 1988. And, you know, we, there, we have this thing in us. We have this infatuation of the end. Like we, you know, this is the end. And even when we go through challenging hard times, you know, we, you, <laughs> the question is a lot of times our fear and our question is, is this the end for me? When we go through a challenge or when we go through a hard time, you know, sometimes we, uh, I heard it said that, you know, many people because of traumatic circumstances in their life, they deal with post-traumatic stress disorder, right? Well, sometimes if we're not careful, we can wind up dealing with pre-traumatic stress disorder, where we wind up coming, you know, before any of us have ever had a challenge, we wind up, you know, is this the end? And we stress ourselves out, and we, make, we, we, we start to worry and start to have anxiety and fear, where it's like this pre-traumatic stress disorder that we wind up walking in. And listen, I'm not making light of uh, someone who's going through PTSD, but my, my point is that many times we get anxious about things that God has in his hand, that God has in his hand. Amen? So if you are in a, in a challenging place, it is not the end. If you're challenging, if you're walking through that time where you're saying it is going through, a, uh, it is, it's tough right now, I want to tell you it's not the end. If you're here this morning and that's where you're at, it's okay but it's not the end. God is here. He's with you. He wants to walk through things with you. You know, it's not so much that he always calms the storm, but he talks, what's that saying? That he teaches us how to ride the waves. He's with us in the fire, like Alan preached about last week. You know, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, it says this. It says, but may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after you have suffered a while Perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. 
God's desire is for you and I to be perfect. That word perfect doesn't mean like, you know, that we never make a mistake. What it means is it means that we're whole. God's desire is that we are whole in our inner man. His desire is for us to walk in wholeness. His desire is to have us established. His desire is to have us strengthened. His desire is for us to be settled in him, that no matter what life throws at us, we are seated with him in a place of authority, seated with him in heavenly places. We are seated unshakable with him. You know, God does not have an infatuation with the end. He doesn't have an infatuation with the end. In my experience, it seems that he is much more focused on the process of our lives. He is focused on the journey. He is focused on our development, the development of our inner man. And really, he's looking for certain things. He's he's focused on finding faith in the core of who we are. He seems more interested in his, his spirit's ability to move through us unhindered. He seems more interested in our Christ likeness than just what we determine the end game of success is in our lives. You know, in business, there's uh, these things called key performance indicators. And they're the things that we observe that tell us how our business is doing. Are things going as the, you know, the way that they ought to? Or are thing, is there challenges? Is there problems? And I think, you know, internally, we as people, we tend to have like key performance indicators as well, right? We, like, do we have enough food? Uh, are we happy? Um, are we having good relationships? What are we, do we have stuff to wear? <laughs> All right. And we have these things too. Are we happy, healthy, uh, healthy? Man, I cannot speak this morning. Lord, I need your help. <laughs> are we happy, wealthy, and wise, right? Early to bed, early to rise, that kind of thing. And we look at that. And we, we have these kind of like key performance indicators of our lives that we're saying, hey, you know, how, do you, how do you determine? What are some assumptions that you determine that your life is going well or not? What are the things that you look at, that you look at in life to know whether or not your life is going well? And the, the challenge is this, is, and we all have them. The challenge is this, is that when we step, uh, when, when what we are looking at is different than what God is looking at, we wind up missing what he is doing many times in our lives. Because there are certain things that God is looking for. There are certain things that he is looking for in our lives. You know, I think he's looking for things that are um, like humility. He's looking for faith. He's looking for righteousness. He's looking for the, the way we treat other people. He's looking for ourselves to lay down our self-serving and self-preserving attitudes. You know, Joel started, you started to like preach part of my message this morning, you know, all right, about laying down our lives. And, you know, I don't think that God looks at the same key performance indicators of our lives. And if we're honest, I think, you know, unconsciously, we tend to see things through the lenses of our own self-serving our own self-fulfillment, our own self-preservation, worrying about our lives, becoming anxious and stressed out. When, when we operate in a place of self-survival, our focus shifts and we start stepping into fear. 
we start stepping into anxiety. We start stepping into worry. And we start stepping out of faith. We start stepping out of hope and love. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 to 34, it says this. It says, therefore, do not worry. Tell your neighbor, say, do not worry. Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. It's interesting that Jesus doesn't say, oh, you don't need them. Don't worry about them. He says, your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Like, those are all good things, but don't orientate your life about, around those things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. Jesus says not to seek the key performance indicators of the world, the way the world seeks it. Seek the ones that God is seeking for our lives, the ones he is looking for. Next week, we're going to touch on what some of them are. You know, there's a lot of places in the Bible where, where the word of God assumes things about our life. It assumes things about our lives as believers. We're going to talk about, you know, what are some of the things that God is assuming about you? And what are they? And what do they look like? We're going to define some of them next week as we go on. But today, you know, this is what I want to come to a place where we recognize that God has purposed each one. God has a will for each one of us. He has purposed each one of us to live in his kingdom. Not a single person has ever been purposed to live outside of the kingdom of God. Not a single one. You and I have never been purposed to live outside of the kingdom of God. The interesting thing about God's kingdom is, you know that verse there in Matthew chapter 6, along with other verses that, Talk about like sacrifice and laying down. And, and, and Jesus says, listen, the way to take care of the things that you look for in life, that you long for in life, and that you need in life is to seek something totally different. Don't seek those things, but seek my kingdom first. Seek my kingdom first, which seemingly has nothing to do with our own desires of self-preservation or worldly fulfillment. And in fact, it winds up being almost exactly the opposite. There is a call to lay down those very things. And it's really the paradox of the kingdom of God. It is in giving that we receive. It is in dying to ourselves that we experience resurrection. It is in loving that we overcome fear and hate. It is in doing good that we overcome evil. It is in blessing that we reverse curses. It is in humbling ourselves that God lifts us up. As 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 to 7 says, it says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. You know, I like to say it this way, that if we do our job of humbling ourselves, then God does his job of raising us up. If we, do, if we try and take God's job of raising ourselves up, then God has to do our job of humbling ourselves, right? Of humbling us, right? 
And so, but it is in giving up our life that we find it. It's in living for others that we find fulfillment in our life. You know, God has purposed each one of us to live in his kingdom where he reigns as king. And our entire makeup was made to thrive in the glory-rich environment of his kingdom. We have a template in the Bible. We have some examples that are given to us about what life looks like from the kingdom of God. And we see the result in the community of believers in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. It says, now this is, this is those who had responded to Peter's message of preaching, that, uh, talking about Jesus uh, being the Savior. This is those who responded after the day of Pentecost. And this is, the, this is the response. This is what changed in their life. This is what their life looked like because of the impact of Jesus and the kingdom of God in their hearts and in their lives. It says this. It says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. So this is kind of like a, a roadmap. It's kind of an example for you and I to say, hey, this is what life in the kingdom of God here on earth, not life in heaven somewhere, this is what life in the kingdom of God here on earth looks like for you and I. They continued in the apostles' doctrine they and fellowship, gathering together, in breaking of bread, eating together, as well as during the Lord's Supper. They continued in prayer together. And then it says, fear, another translation says, awe came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they sold their possessions and their goods, and they divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and in breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Wow, that right there is a blueprint of the effect that Jesus had in the lives of these believers. As they came to Christ, the, the, the kind of the output of that, how it changed their life, we see their, their example here in Acts chapter two. I mean, they had crazy generosity, their generosity is, I don't know about you, but that's like crazy generosity, okay? All right? They had crazy generosity. They ate together on a continual basis. They had the Lord's Supper together. They prayed together. They learned, you know, apostolic doctrine. They continued steadfastly. Tell your neighbor, say, continued steadfastly. You know, I'm sure that there was times when, you know, they, they didn't feel like getting out of bed. I'm sure there was times where they didn't feel like going, you know, gathering together or, or working out relationships that happen when you have to get together with people, you know. They, they, you know, I'm sure there's times where they, they maybe felt like they wanted to stay at home or do something different. But here it says that they continued steadfastly. They shared with one another. They borrowed from each other, and they gave to one another. There was, a, there was a, an acceptance and an, an embrace of those new people coming to faith in Jesus Christ and coming in to their community for the first time. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. In many, 
in many ways, you know, they had in practice what the philosophers of today can only dream about. In the world today, there is such a desire for this type of unity, this type of equality, this type of justice, this type of rightness and righteousness and care. There's such a desire for that out there. And we all recognize that these things are missing in the world. In fact, I think it is that desire that drives the idealism of philosophies like communism and like socialism and many other of the philosophical isms of today. Is these philosophies are really kind of man, man's best temp, mankind's best attempts to implement and ensure the type of unity and equality and care and justice apart from God. But there's a major problem. Every place where these ideals apart from God have tried to be implemented over the last 100 years, every place has, desult, has resulted in really bad chaos and failure. And in fact, you know, uh, the, the estimated number, and this does not include Venezuela recently, but the estimated number of uh, deaths for human individual for people and individuals in nations that have tried communism and hardcore socialism is over 100 million. That's almost twice the amount of babies that have been aborted. And so, you know, when we when we stand up and we we show the marbles and we show, you know, the the you know if every marble represents 10,000. There's the failure of systems apart from God is phenomenal. It's terrible. You know, we have the Soviet Union. We have just, I mean, recent history, Soviet Union, East Germany, China, Ethiopia, Cambodia, North Korea, Cuba, most recently Venezuela, where when we try and enforce the very principles that come to us by freely because of the kingdom of God, when we try and enforce those principles in our own strength apart from him, it fails utterly. I believe that there is a, a, the main reason why this happens is because of one main problem, and that is sin, <laughs> the corruption of man, the corruption of mankind, where when we try and implement and enforce what they successfully lived in Acts chapter 2, when we try and implement and enforce that apart from the reign and the rulership of God as the supreme judge and the right, holy, righteous judge, we fail in our attempts. And we wind up making it far worse. Any of you ever wind up making something far worse than you ever wanted it to be? My hand's up, all right? <laughs> okay? You know, it's like sometimes we can have our best laid attempts, our best planned attempts, and it winds up, not only does it not wind up giving us what we wanted, but it actually winds up making it worse. Oh, I hate when that happens, <laughs> you know? And so, and that's really what it's like seeking the fulfillment of the kingdom of God outside of his rulership and outside of his reign. You know, the one major flaw of these systems of communism and socialist philosophies that fail utterly is because they fail to address the problem of sin. They fail to address the problem of the corruption of fallen man. 
And so everyone has these ideals. They have these desires that they recognize are true and are right. You know, the desire for justice, the internal desire for equality, the desire of equal value of persons and the unity and the community. And really those things are desires because they were sewed into the fabric of our being by God. They're sewed into the depths of the fabric of our being. And so we can all recognize a desire for those things in life, but yet we can, we, as mankind, without God, we are powerless to deliver on those promises. We're powerless to deliver on those things which we would find fulfilling. You know, these, these systems, they've tried to bring righteousness, yet they delivered massive injustice with over 100 million people killed. They've promised peace, but they've delivered mass executions and oppressive regimes. They've promised the joy of a utopian society, but if you travel to the nations where these systems have been implemented on a governmental level, they're the most joyous societies that exist in the earth. The Bible says that there's only one place that we can experience righteousness, peace, and the joy of the Holy Spirit. And that is the kingdom of God. In Romans 14, verse 17, you see these philosophies, they've tried to mandate the results of the kingdom of God without embracing the free will submission and obedience to God. Without embracing the free will submission, tell your neighbor, say free will submission. to God who is the only good, holy, and righteous judge, the perfect judge for mankind. These philosophies find their root in the lie that was told in the Garden of Eden that says, you can have the garden, you can have the knowledge, you can have the power, you can have the fruit without the obedience to God who created it all. I don't stand here today preaching a government system. I stand here today preaching the kingdom of God. I do have opinions, <laughs> but it's not a, you know, no government system will ever bring about the righteousness of God. It's only our free will individually and then collectively as communities where we freely give and lay down our lives for the purpose and the sake of the kingdom of God, that's when these things, the things that we desire, will begin to come into manifestation and they begin to happen. The very things that we long for at the core of who we are, the very things that we're hungry for, the very justice that we cry out for and that people rage for in the world, that it, it doesn't bring the desired results, the things that they are claiming that they desire to see. They actually produce the opposite. And it's like Jesus is standing over our nations and he's saying, guys, you don't know the things that would make for your peace. As mankind, we tend to have a really bad track record of creating our own peace and our own fulfillment. There's only one answer to the problem of sin in the world. There's only one answer to the corruption in the nature of humankind. And that is redemption by Jesus Christ. To be redeemed means to be bought back. It's where Jesus buys us back 
from the results of our poor decision-making, man, I'm so glad that Jesus brought me back. I'm so glad that like, I don't have to live by some philosophies of karma, you know, where I wind up deserving everything that I get. Man, I'm so glad that Jesus has delivered me from the results of my poor decision-making. Yeah? He buys us back from the results. He buys us back from our best efforts that are rooted in failed and sinful nature. Redemption happens by our individual and collective free will surrendering and submission of our lives to God through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Freely surrendering our sinful life, freely surrendering our self-deserving and self-preserving will, freely surrendering our best designs at our life that try and they fail miserably, freely surrendering those things in exchange for his holy life, in exchange for his eternal will, and for exchange of his good and godly design of how he created us to be. Listen, no person, no organization, no government, no church, no family member can do it for you. It is our own free will submission, not forced submission out of fear or out of coercion. There's only one person that has responsibility to respond to Jesus, and that's you, and that's me. We have responsibility. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, and 30, to 28 to 30 says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, God has never purposed us to live outside of his kingdom. Surrendering every area of our lives to Jesus Christ is actually the unburdening of our souls. It is, re- it is in receiving his salvation that we are free from the burden of trying to write our own lives and trying to save ourselves. In every place where mankind has tried to cast off God's will, where they've tried to cast off God's governance and run from the restraints of his law, they unknowingly have overburdened themselves with the weights and the burdens that they were never meant or called or designed to carry. I believe that this is part of the reason why depression and anxiety and fear and uncontrollable doubt and suicide and hate and strife have become so prevalent in our society. From the beginning, God has never purposed you or me to live outside of his kingdom. You are purposed to live in loving connection with him in his kingdom. Today I want to talk to you, and I want to ask, you know, I, I, I feel like I've stumbled through a lot of things this morning, but I want to ask some just real key, key questions of us this morning. So whether you've prayed a prayer asking Jesus to come into your life or not, the question that I want to ask you is, are you carrying weights and burdens today that you were never meant to carry? Perhaps you might feel that, you know, being crushed under the weights of negative decisions or decisions that didn't go so well or under the best, your best efforts at life, and it's not turning out so well. 
in a moment, I'm going to ask us all to have a come to Jesus moment, all right? Where we come and we lay down the burdens of trying to right ourselves, the burdens of trying to right our own wrongs, the burdens of trying to figure it all out. If you're here today and you say, that is me, in a moment I'm gonna invite you to come and stand at the altar as a sign of complete surrender to Jesus as the king of your life. If you're here today and you're already following fully after Jesus, I wanna charge us and I wanna call us to the activity of the kingdom. I wanna call us to the example of Acts chapter two where as a community and as a family, we, we are filled with the life of the Holy Spirit, where we are steadfastly continuing in apostolic doctrine, where we're steadfastly continuing in fellowship with one another, eating together, partaking of the Lord's Supper together, caring for each other, caring for one another, having times of outrageous generosity, committed to times together in church and in homes as explained in Acts chapter two, in praising God, committed to praising him. Why? Because he's worthy. He's worthy. Not because, not for our own benefits, but simply because of who he is. You know, this, the, I often think about this way, that if you've ever had in a crazy, amazing worship time, you know, and it's like, rah! You know, it's so easy to praise God, and it's like, yes! God is awesome. He is amazing. You know, if you contrast that to a time when, like, in worship, we feel like, oh, I don't know if I feel like worshiping God. Like, why'd they pick this song? You know? All right? I know none of you think that way. The truth is that God hasn't changed. His worthiness hasn't changed. Like, he is just as worthy in the time of, like, all-out, raw you know, worship to the Lord as he is when we don't feel it. And it's us where we choose to say, I'm going to continue in praises to God. I'm going to continue in the principles with God. I'm going to continue in his life for me. So I want to call us that, committed to times together in church and in praising him and continuing to share especially the good news of Jesus so that others may come to him on a daily basis. If you're here today and you recognize that you are far from God, I want to invite you to come to him today. I want to pray with you. And we'll have some prayer ministers up here at the end here in a moment. If you have any prayer needs, we want to pray with you. But I want to encourage you to ask yourself the hard questions. Where are you with the Lord? Where are you with Jesus? you're here and you recognize that you've turned away from God, maybe you're online, you recognize you've turned away from God, there's any area of your life that you hear God's calling, he's calling back to your heart to come back to him. I invite you to come in a fresh recognition and dedication to Jesus. Come and be redeemed. Come and be bought back from the results of trying to you know, predefine our own lives and determine our own lives. If you're here and you recognize that sometimes your best attempts simply wind up making matters worse, you know, it's easy for me to stand here and condemn like the worst acts of history, right? 
of systems in history. It's easy to stand here and condemn that, but only you know the condition of your heart before God. You know, we can all stand and be like, oh, yeah, that was terrible. You know, look at history. Look at the results of those systems. That's terrible. That's terrible. But only you know the result and where you are in your relationship with God in your own heart. So I invite you to come and find hope again in Jesus Christ. God never created you and I to live apart from him. He never purposed you and I to live one moment of our life outside of his kingdom. Yet many people are living their entire lives outside of his kingdom. And many people are dying outside of his kingdom. God's word gives us assurance that when we come to him, he will forgive our sins. He will wash us clean. And he will adopt us as his children. Maybe you're here today and you you may not even agree with some of the things I've said. But you recognize the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Of God pulling on your heart. You might recognize that you don't know the things that make for your peace. I want to invite you to come back to Jesus today. Can we stand? I know this is maybe a different message than you're used to hearing me preach, but we need to come back to the lordship of Jesus Christ. So many times we wind up slipping into this pattern of serving God for what we can get from him instead of serving him as king. And I want to encourage us today that, you know, God is, he's trustworthy, He is trustworthy, and he can bring about results that you and I could never imagine in our lives. He's trustworthy to bring about those things. His heart is for us as a good, yeah, his heart is for us as a good father. He loves us, and he can accomplish more than we could ever ask or think. But some of the things that we desire in our lives, some of the things that we nail down as the God, I want this to happen, and I want this to happen, and I want this to happen, don't actually bring the very things, the internal things that we assume that we would be hungry for, that we assume would bring us the peace and fulfillment that we desire. How many of you have ever gotten something you really, really wanted, and like two months later, you're like, meh, you know, meh, ah. You know, and, and there's, there's statistics out there that say like people who, who have like, have done that, as, as mankind, when we do that, we're like, man, I would really be happier. I'd really be fulfilled if I got that car or if I got that house. Usually the joy of that lasts two months, statistically, before people wind up being back in the same emotional state that they were before. That's why, one of the reasons why I say, you know, as mankind, we're not really good at knowing what... <laughs> what would make for our peace. We think we know. We can think we know. But it's only in in surrender and obedience of following the Lord that he begins to orchestrate things in our hearts. He begins to orchestrate things in our lives. Yeah, awesome. If you're here and you recognize that that's you, let's let's do a good old-fashioned altar call this morning. 
where you say, I'm coming. God, I'm coming. This isn't about responding to me. This is about responding to God. You know, it's a short, it's a short walk from here to there, but it's the biggest decision of our lives. If you recognize that you're far from God and you say, I want to come back to him. I want to come to Jesus for the first time or I want to come back to him. I've, I've turned away. I've walked away. Or, or if there's a recognition that there are certain areas of my life that I've really tried to be the king of my own heart and I've tried to orchestrate things and I've tried to make things happen and I recognize that it's out of my hands. I can't do it. If that's you, I invite you to come and lay those areas down. You know, there's a saying, and I believe it, that says, um, you know, if God's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. We can't have it both ways. We can't have his way and our way. When God calls us to surrender and he calls us to lay down, it's in, you know, it's in laying down the things that we desire many times that we actually get the, the, the fulfillment that he deposits in us. That we get the fulfillment of the things that we long for. It's that paradox. I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to lay it down. And I get it back. Let's come to him this morning. Let's come to him this morning. Let's come to him this morning. I've, I put a prayer up. I put a prayer up on the, the screen. I just want to pray this through with us. And if you're saying that, man, I know that that is for me. I know that what you're saying, bro, maybe you didn't say it the best way this morning, but, but I hear you and I hear God speaking to, to me through you. I want to invite you to come. I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. It's a prayer of coming back to him. It's a prayer of reorientating our lives to him. It's a prayer of saying, God, I want to come into your kingdom. I want to live as you being my king. I want to reorientate my life, not for my own desires, but I want to reorientate my life around you. I want your kingdom to come in me. Let's pray this prayer. If you're there, standing here in the front, prayer ministers, you can just come and prepare to just minister to us. Man, let's, I really, my heart is that our Sunday mornings become all about his presence, so that we become all about en engaging him and encountering Jesus this morning. And so if you're here, surrender. If you're here, and listen, if you still want to come, there's time to come and just make a statement of saying, God, I'm, I'm coming, God. I'm coming. I want my life, I want my life to be surrendered orientated around your, de your desire, your will, your plan, your program, your design for my life. God, there's places this morning where you recognize that I've been outside God's will, outside of the kingdom of God, outside of his design. Man, let's lay it down. Let's get, let's get rid of this stuff. Let's get rid of the weights that you were no longer, that you were never created to carry. Get rid of the weights on your soul that you were never created to walk in. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary laden, and I will give you rest. Take my burden upon you and learn from me, for I am lowly and meek in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. God, we come today. We come today, Lord, 
Father, and we reverse the decision that was made in the Garden of Eden, Father, where we took things into our own hands, prompted by the enemy, prompted by Satan, where we tried to take control of things in our own hands, God. Lord, thinking that we could make the right decisions by the knowledge that we would have and thinking that we could make, Lord, our best plans happen by the knowledge of the power that we thought we could have. And God, we reverse that decision today in the name of Jesus Christ. Let's pray this prayer. Jesus, I come to you. I confess that I need you fully. I know that you died to pay the price for me to come into the kingdom of God for me to be welcomed as God's child I repent for every wrong thing that I have done where I've been carrying my own burdens for too long where I've been living as my own master my own provider and my own fixer today I give you my burdens I give you my life take it all Take it all, God. I give you my tomorrow in exchange for your purpose for me. I give you my plans in exchange for your plans, God. I give you my heart in exchange for your heart. I give you my life in exchange for your life. I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. I ask you to lead me. I ask you to guide me. I ask you to protect me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Father, today we choose to orientate our lives around you and around your kingdom. in the beginning here before we started speaking before the coffee break and said whoever would seek to save his life would lose it whoever would lose his life for my sake will receive it will gain it so Father today we come today we come Lord we declare that you are king and you are Lord in Jesus name Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. If you want to just take some time here, prayer ministers, just come and begin to minister to people as you feel led by, led by the Lord. We're going to do a soft close here this morning, and just if you want to come and just you know get right with God, just you know if you're still sitting there, your heart's going, dun, 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 dun. you know, you know it's you that God's putting His finger on. Come forward. That's right, man. Let's let's get right with God. Let's get right with God. You know, the Bible says that He is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or think. But we have to give Him the reins of our life. We have to give Him the reins. You know, song by Carrie Underwood. Jesus, take the wheel, right? We have to give Him the wheel. We have to give Him the throttle. We have to give Him the brake. Jesus, we come to You.
do something that looks like the kingdom of God in Acts chapter 2 this week. Do something that looks like the kingdom of God in Acts chapter 2. Get, get with families, you know, get, invite some people over to your house. Pray with them. Like, man, just take some time and enjoy each other's company. Enjoy the fellowship of believers in your life. Amen. Do something crazy. If, God's, you know, if God is asking you to do something crazy, generous, do it. Do it. Amen. All right, God bless you. Have a powerful week this week.